Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 340 with Rick Miller. I think you'll dig this chat with Rick as he is talking about how to be chief, even without a title. I'm not talking about Chief Illini Wick of my alma mater, the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. I mean, chief like a chief financial officer, chief operating officer, etc. how you can wield that kind of influence and power, even if you don't have a title like that. So you'll learn one, where true power comes from, two, five ways to create insight and energy, and three, why supporting other people's success grows your influence. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes or the transcripts or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find it over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep340. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I hope you'll check out some of our cool stuff. One cool thing I'd point you to is the Gold Nugget email list, which provides summary insights from Rick and all the 300 plus guests that have come before him in a quickly readable, fast digesting format. That's the gold nuggets over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Rick's story. Rick Miller is an unconventional turnaround specialist, a servant leader, and a go-to chief. He's also an experienced and trusted confidant and author and sought-after speaker, an expert in driving sustainable growth. For over 30 years, Rick has served as a successful business executive in roles including president and or CEO in a Fortune 10, a Fortune 30, a startup, and a nonprofit. Rick earned a bachelor's degree from Bentley University and an MBA from Columbia. He currently lives in Morristown, New Jersey. Big thanks to Rick for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Rick. Rick, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Great to be with you, Pete. Well, I think there are many things that I'm excited to discuss with you. And one of them that is chief among them, uh get it, is your your experience training at a professional wrestling school. What is this about? Well, you know, you asked for something that was a little different. And uh, back in the early 80s, when WrestleMania 1 came out, showing a little date here, and it was a couple of uh, couple of wrestlers, Mr. T and Hulk Hogan, and I was running a sales organization at the time, and I wanted to do something fun for our uh, sales kickoff. So I went to Killer Kowalski's wrestling school in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, Killer Kowalski at the time uh, was still the the famed six foot six inch, three hundred and twenty five pound monster that he was years earlier. Let's just say, Pete, that the three twenty five had settled differently in his body. So uh, I went uh, with a couple of other folks and we learned to to throw each other around and uh, worked with Killer and a a professional midget wrestler uh, and and were there for a couple of weeks and put on uh, one heck of a kickoff for our sales team, one they didn't expect. But at the time, WrestleMania was all the the discussion. Again, I know they've had a bunch since, uh, but uh, back in the day, it was fresh and it was new. And uh, no, I didn't garner the tights. But uh, it was interesting to be uh, thrown against turnbuckles and coming off ropes and things like that. And and I have a a real respect for learning how to fall the right way. Oh, yeah. So you went through all of this to to put on a show for the sales team. I did. I did, yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, you're you're trying to get people motivated and have some Uh fun and and, and frankly show... uh, you know, show a kind of a fun side of yourself. You're going to spend the rest of the year trying to work with the team to to perform, uh, you know, miracles in terms of generating numbers that you're trying to build up. But at the at the front end of uh, of most sales 
years is a is a fun kickoff event and we thought that year that was the way to go and so who were you wrestling in your exhibition i was wrestling killer kowalski oh, oh i had a killer himself? yeah I was, okay yeah yeah it was, it was great <laughs> because it, it was funny you grabbed him by the hand and a little tug and of course he launched himself into the air as <laughs> if he did it and i gotta tell you the, uh, the sound of 300 and some odd pounds landing the way it did I can't even express to you. So. <laughs> but the real fun was uh, the way this, the skit was set up is that uh, I was going after Killer, and I was beating him for a while, but then he, he, he threw me once, and I stayed down, and the way the skit was set up, I reached up and, and said just loud enough for the audience to, uh, to say, I said, I need help from headquarters. And in came this, this, uh, this, his partner, a professional midget, and the, the size difference between the midget and Killer and then obviously the midget, who's the headquarters of, at the time, it was the, the computer company I was working for. And he had our logo emblazoned to the midget on his chest. And he starts throwing Killer Kowalski around in a, in a well-choreographed dance, if you will, that they've done many times. And at the end, the, the midget holds my hand up and we're standing on Killer Kowalski's chest. And the crowd is going crazy because obviously with headquarters help, you can defeat and I think at the time we had Killer Kowalski with an IBM shirt on, and uh, you know it was it was really sappy. But I'll tell you what, it really had the sales force uh, pumped up. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that is so fun! Wow. Well, thank you for for sharing that and really painting a picture there. That's uh, it's really cool. And uh, well, now I want to hear a little about your company. It's called Being Chief LLC. Yep. What's what's this organization about? Well, it's it's the it's the organization that I set up when I left uh, uh, the last uh, big company job that I had ten years ago to give me a platform to do what I like to do, which is I do some speaking, I do some writing, and and I work really as a confidant, uh, an advisor to uh, to business leaders who uh, want to work together on on personally and professionally being more powerful. So that's the umbrella term. I, I've long since lost the need to, uh, to run large organizations. At one point, I had 10,000 people when I was at AT&T that were under my direct uh, kind of area of responsibility. And, and I've uh, really enjoyed over the last 10 years having an uh, employee base of one. It's working out just fine for me, Pete. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I dig it. And so you have articulated many of your kind of core beliefs or, or messages there at Being Chief. In the book, Be Chief, it's a choice, not a title. What are kind of the, the main pieces of this? Well, the, the central element of, of the book is about uh, uh, power. I was uh, fortunate to do a TED Talk a number of years ago, and the, the line that, uh, uh, and I thought later on about the book, but the line in the TED Talk that got the most resonance was people have uh, an awful lot of interest in the term chief. But they frankly have a lot more interest in the power associated with the word chief. And uh, back in the way when I got out of business school, there was a, a, a chain of, of titles that you tried to move up. You became a vice president to a senior vice president to executive vice president to a president to a CEO. That was the, the path that many of us took. Now the term of the day is chief, as in chief fill-in-the-blank officer. There are chiefs everywhere. But the reason that the term chief is being thrown around is because people want the power associated with the word chief. So the book is a central element of the book. And again, the subtitle, it's a choice, not a title, because I believe that power, as some people define it conventionally, is kind of yesterday's newspaper, to be honest. Uh, power, in many people's minds still, they're thinking in an, an old paradigm, is about authority and control that comes from a title or a position or some element of superiority. 
That's an old way of thinking about power. Mm -hmm. The book offers that real power is energy. Real power is clarity. Real power is confidence. And with those that anyone can have, independent of where they are in any organization, that's where they can have influence and that's where they can make a real impact. And the book is all about redefining power, giving you a way to measure your power, to increase your power, and then have, have, have your power spread to other people, other parts of your organization. Because as, a, as an unconventional turnaround specialist, which is the, the label that I sometimes get, although my favorite label, honestly, Pete, is professional nudge. But the turnaround thing is about walking into tough organizations and organizations having a tough time and, and, and putting a plan in place not only to turn around performance and develop growth, but to sustain it. So I think the key to sustainable growth, and this is the net of the book, the, the, the big idea is that uh, you know people and, and the way that you deal with the power that is in a workforce has everything to do with your ability to sustain growth. Okay, gotcha. So in terms of the definition of power, it seems like you're you're still thinking about it in terms of like influence or the the capacity to do work, which is sort of like the same as the the old or or not. Could you correct me there? Well, yeah, influence, no question. I mean, sure. power is about influence. All right. The question is who has it and how do you get it? Because in the old world, you needed to wait for someone else to give you the promotion, right? You needed to wait for somebody else to say it's time for that next rung in the ladder, right? And as you went up in an organization, you got more powerful. The key change is that power doesn't come from the outside, it comes from the inside. And so allowing people to find their power their way, right? We're all different. And to make sure that you can become the fullest version of who you are certainly increases your engagement. And that's one of the business topics that's out there these days. And according to Gallup, only three out of 10 people are all in or fully engaged at work. Well, some companies say, well, the managers aren't doing their jobs. Blame it on the managers. Nah, you probably want to take a look at the people who you're hiring and creating environments with them to allow them to, to be their, the best version of themselves. That's what I focus on. I hear you. So now we talk about energy and clarity and confidence being sort of the, the core underlying forces from, from within that turn into this power. Uh, yep. Can you tell us a little bit, you say you measure it and you increase it. How does that work? Well, there's a, you know, and this is the, the best part. We're here to, you know, happy to talk a little bit about the book that's coming out where all proceeds are going to charity. We'll talk about that later. But the best thing I had to share with your listeners is there is on my site right now, bchief.com, a free assessment tool, take you five minutes and allow you to answer some very simple questions and get a baseline of how powerful are you defined in those terms, Pete, that we just talked about. How clear are you? How confident are you? How energized are you? What is your uh, influence score and what is your impact score? And then from the way you answer those questions, you have an opportunity to say, you know what, how do I feel about the choices that I'm currently making and make those tweaks? So I find that the language of business is numbers, right? The language of business is numbers. So we can talk, and I, you know, again, my dad was a, a human resource professional. I used to call them personnel guys back in the day. But you know, I've always believed that human capital is the area that we need to focus on. The challenge is the metrics aren't there. You can't me measure it by zip code, by shoe size, by time of day, which you can financial capital. So I, I, I designed this tool, this very simple tool, to give people a quick snapshot of their power 
And that obviously opens them up to choices to what they choose to do about it. Okay. Well, I'd love to dig into a, a bit of, of each of these in terms of how are you defining, you know, energy, clarity, confidence, influence, impact, and, and then what are some of your sort of best practice pro tips for, for boosting each of them? Sure. Well, where do you want to start? Let's go with energy. Okay. Uh, energy is, you know, we'll talk about power comes from the inside, not the out. The core of this thing is, is, uh, uh, is insight, actually, because being chief, I'll give you another way of looking at it, kind of pull these together. Being chief, being the most powerful person you can be, is connecting what you do to who you are, right? Connecting what you do to who you are. So if you think about who you are, who, who are you? really requires you to develop some insight, right? Insight into self-understanding and insight to me are synonyms. And that's where I think energy comes from. So talk about five different ways that you can build insight and create energy. I suggest that part of it is being present, being focused on the moment at hand. Now you'll see, Pete, that many of these things are, are well discussed in many different ways in many different forms by other people. My focus is not to supply you with a new piece of information. It's to help you apply it, right? Supply and apply. So I'm a business guy. It's got to be simple. I've got to be able to retain it and I'll be able to use it. So when it gets to energy and insight, first off, be present. Learn how to focus. Second, be still. Learn how to develop your own voice. I mean, all the voices that are, that are yapping at you from, from the media to a well-intentioned spouse, to your kids, to your neighbors, to everybody around. Everybody's got a voice that's in your ear. How can you develop the energy that comes from hearing your own voice and knowing it well? Third one is being accepting. Don't fight what is. You want to fight for the future, that's fine. But conserve your energy. Don't needlessly waste energy by fighting a current truth. Accept what is. And the energy that comes from being generous and the energy that comes from being grateful. So I offer that there are five ways to actually measure how present are you, how still are you, how accepting are you? How generous are you? And how grateful are you? And these are all your own uh, self self views. But my observation is is the more you are any one of these, you can absolutely increase your level of self understanding, your insight, and the benefit to you is the the energy of of knowing more who you are. Okay, so, so that's a great sort of subset there: being present, being still, being accepting, being generous, and being grateful. Uh, do you have any thoughts in terms of a, a particular action step one can take that, that really takes you far in terms of being more of one or more of these things? Well, the question is, how much are you doing it? I mean, so let's take being present, right? I know that many people take great benefit from the time they're being present, but uh, even the most accomplished, enlightened, uh, even people who, who are very much focusing on the mindfulness movement, which you're very familiar with, I'm sure would say that there's a percentage of their day that they aren't present. I mean, we're human beings, right? And so, so the objective is always to, can you, if you are present every once in a while, can you be present more often? And then can you be present consistently? It's all in the small tweaks. If someone is never present and they're always uh, scattered, are they going to take a step from being scatterbrained and, and all over the place to mindful all the time? Of course not. So I'm not advocating that anybody try and, you know, skip steps, but just trying to move a little bit on a scale of one to 10. If you think you're a, a five on a one to 10 in terms of being present, what benefit, what power, what energy could you get if you became a little more present than you have been? That's the advocacy. The advocacy is don't ask people to do what they can't do. Ask them to make slight tweaks in what they can do. 
Okay, so you're not suggesting a particular, you know, regiment or, or series of, of exercises to to boost presence so much as you're just saying, hey, get, get some awareness and some focus and do more of it. Exactly. Exactly. That, I, again, the, there are wonderful places to go. What I I view B-Chief Pete as an integrated piece, right? I'm not trying to go, I mean, there are there are volumes and volumes and volumes on how to be present. I'm not trying to outdo the present movement, the mindful movement. Go study John Kabat-Zinn. Go, there's plenty of places to go, right? As I work with with, with executives and leaders at, at all levels, right, chiefs at all levels, the idea is how do you integrate all the stuff that's out there to make it actionable, right? Mm-hmm. You can go in any particular vein, but the idea of connecting what you do to who you are is the central premise. And I'll take the next step with you. One real powerful practice that that I've that I've used with a lot of my clients, and and again, it's 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 on the free survey, is my belief that values. Understanding your values are the key to confidence. And here's why I say that. When I work with great groups of people, I will generally put up a list uh, uh, or we'll talk about a list of you know, 30 or 40 values that are all very positive things. And I'll say to, the, to, to a group, I'll say, if you had to pick four, because right, you can't stand for 50 things, right? you can't take a stand for 50 things. But in the compass, which I use, uh, north, south, east, west, if you were cho- to choose four, and you were very conscious about those four. You spoke about them. You wrote about them. You took actions that were very consistent with them. Not that you'd ignore the other 46. But the observation I make is that confidence comes when you can take a stand. And once you figure out what you stand for, you can take one. So for me, I've done a lot of work on this, as you might imagine. My four are truth, service, equality, and connection. And the test that I that I use, and I advocate this, if you think you stand for something right now, ask the 10 people who know you most, know you best, family, friends, and say, what do you think I stand for? And you might be surprised, you know, give me four, five, three, four, five answers. You might be surprised that there might not be any commonality. And you may be okay with that, right? You may be okay with the fact that the 10 people who know you best would describe your values differently. The only question I would ask is if the 10 people who knew you the best Describe your values in a consistent way. Does that, in fact, make you more powerful? I would advocate that it does. And yeah, there might be a difference between, I mean, if someone says you're kind and someone says you're empathetic, okay, that, that may be a difference without a distinction. But if you've got a wildly different set of things, they could be all positive. But it's like it is the same topic of focus. So if you know what you stand for, you can take one. And then I think those people around you resonate with the confidence that you have that you stand for something. And so it's just an example, as we talk about connecting what you do to who you are, the two parts of the compass that are who you are, are your insight, which we talked about the five ways you can build that, and your values, right? Insight and values and the study of those and the thinking about those gives you more clarity about who you are. So when you take actions, knowing who you are, you're taking actions that are yours on your voice and your values not on Uncle Sal, you know, Uncle Sam's or uh, Aunt Sally's or a cousin or a boss or something else. And I do believe it makes you more powerful. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, so well, it sounds like then we've got clarity and confidence there, or is that, or are you distinguishing clarity in a different way? I am dist- the distinguishing. The confidence is there. The clarity, I believe, and and having studied it and and worked it in business business situations from a startup to a multinational, I link very much the topic of clarity to the topic of discipline. 
And I believe that uh, clarity, uh, again, we think about uh, you know, who you are, which is insight and values, the what you do has to do with discipline and support. Now, discipline, I link to clarity, because I believe that if you plan the work and work the plan, if you have a vision and a strategy and tactics and you adjust, the more you reinforce where you're going, that clarity comes through to the people around you. And it also reinforces it to you as well. So I think the vision and the strategy, which you identify, followed by planning tactics and implementing and adjusting, those all lead to clarity. And again, that clarity with discipline, if it's built off your insight and your values, it gets stronger. Can you give us an example or a story of the, the clarity and discipline piece coming alive for somebody? Sure. Well, I'll give it for an organization. When I have had the opportunity to walk into organizations as a, as a turnaround guy, that, that things are, are, pretty, are pretty muddy, right? I walked into, I'll give you an example. I was the first outsider in AT&T's 100-year history to be recruited from the outside to come in and run a piece of a, a major division back in the day. First one, 100 years. I walked in and, and AT&T, a great company, but they had all kinds of messages, all kinds of, of, of all kinds of uh, uh, high potential programs or leadership attributes. They, you, couldn't, you couldn't crystallize any. It was all good, but there was too much of it. So I came into an organization. This was the one that had 10,000 people in it. And I said, guys, we're going to focus on one thing. Forget everything else. Forget everything else. We're going to focus on something, and I used a symbol to, to encapsulate it, called R3, R to the power of three, R to the third power. What's it? We had symbols made. It was on hats. It was everywhere. That's our focus. Forget everything else. And the discipline was- and What's R to the three mean? It's results for three important groups of people, customers, employees, and share owners. That's the what. But the how was about teamwork, innovation, and speed. So it wasn't R times three, it was R to the power of three. And it was taking, and again, AT&T, back in the day, Pete, there was a rule in the consulting industry about AT&T, which means if you did, at the time, if you didn't have a, a consulting contract with AT&T, it just meant that you weren't trying hard enough. <laughs> because it was consultants galore, everybody with a different, all good stuff, by the way, but no focus, no, no clarity, because it was all over the place. I came in, 10,000 people, you know, all around the world. And I said, guys, this is the focus, the discipline that we're going to have around this clarity. And we developed strategy and plans and, and implemented uh, systems and, and took measurements and adjusted based on that's all we're focused on. Results with three important groups of people focusing on three attributes, teamwork, innovation, and speed. And at the time, we were, uh, uh, you know, we were growing at uh, 5%. Uh, the market was supposedly growing at 10%. Uh, we tripled the growth rate and held on to that growth rate for three years before we uh, we changed organizations. So I, I direct. There's a lot of things we did. A lot of things we did at AT and T that that turned around that situation. But the focus on, on on clarity and discipline to stay focused on an area was a big part of the success. And, and so when you say discipline, you mean it's about saying no to some things. And so so what are some of the things that you said no to? He's like that doesn't quite fit into exactly what we're focused on here. Well, a great definition of strategy, uh, as you know, is defining what you're not going to do, right? Mm -hmm. So the best story I, I remember about about how, how about the strategic element came in an organization where I was running a, a government unit, and we wanted to go uh, at all parts of the government, the civilian, the defense, all parts of it, but we didn't have the resources. So our strategy 
was to optimize one part of the government. So we actually said no. We actually pulled back uh, selling to the civilian portion of the government unit at that time because we just didn't have the resources. And so strategy at that time was to focus on Department of Defense. And by the way, in that particular situation, different company, uh, once again, we tripled the growth rate. So this, you're right. Strategy is, is key. And often strategy is saying no. Couldn't say it better. Okay. Very cool. All right. Well, so then let's talk a little bit about um, influence and then impact. Yeah. Well, uh, influence to me, it comes from the word support. Influence comes when you support other people. And people say, well, isn't, isn't influence when you have kind of an influence over others? No, it comes the other way. The more you support other people, the more you make choices to support other people, that's when your influence grows. So if you are able to listen and enable someone else's success, your influence grows. If you're able to model the way you'd like things to be, your influence grows. If you're able to question people about what they're doing and how they're doing it and help them think through it if they need it, that helps your influence grow. You can inspire them by what you do and how you do it. And there's also this, uh, this uh, you know, a good friend of mine, Chester Elton, wrote the, the, the carrot principle. You just can't recognize people enough. It's, it's such a, you know, and so the word is encourage. Reinforcing what other people do, whether it's a formal program or an informal, hey, well done. Encouraging other people. It, it's just an incredibly, incredibly powerful way to build influence by supporting other people. Mm-hmm. And so now when you say that the supporting of other people results in, in you having more influence, is, is it because yes. these individuals are like, wow. Rick has been just so awesomely good to me. I will follow him to the moon or I, I will, I've got his back and I will help him in any way I can kind of like sort of like, like a reciprocity instinct or, or kind of what's the pathway or mechanism by which that, that support turns into influence. Great question. But it starts with listening, right? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so the point is, if I'm listening to you, if you are my boss, Pete, and you're going to invest time with me to say, okay, I want to enable your success. I want to support you. The first thing you're going to do is ask me, what do I need? Right? You're going to invest some time. right? And so that, that the benefit of truly listening, all people wanted to do is to be heard. You know that. You know? Mm-hmm. And, and if you take the time to really find out, not to, to come in with the, uh, I've decided this is what the answer is, and you're coming with the plunger, and you're trying to ram it through an organization. I can tell you when I joined AT&T as the first outsider. You know, first thing I did was ask a lot of questions, right? Ask a lot of questions. Don't think, ask questions. You don't know. More often than not, the higher you go in an organization, the less you know about the subject matter, which is critical to your success. Right. It's an inverted pyramid, right? So taking the time to ask questions, to learn from the people who know it best, create a bond of influence that can be incredibly powerful. Okay. Very cool. And let's talk now finally about that, that fifth element when it comes to impact. Oh, see, this is where it comes together. So think about where we've been. Think about who you are, insight and values, what you do, discipline and support. It comes together with an ability to be creative. Now, when I say creativity, I'm not talking about some artistic ability to put colors together and, and be creative on a, on a canvas. When I say creativity, I'm talking about an ability to manifest the future. That's my definition of creativity. And if you're going to create the future, you've got to understand a couple things. First off, there's something called internal creativity. That's how you feel and how you think. You are, in fact, creating when you start thinking. That's how the whole thing starts. People are very familiar with external creativity. 
in terms of how you act, less so how you speak and how you write. But if you understand that there is internal creativity, you understand there's external creativity, and the power comes when you align all five. So you're feeling something, you're thinking it, your actions, and the way you the way you write and the way you speak are all aligned. We all know the quickest way to lose credibility is to say one thing and do a different something else. I mean, you just lose all credibility, you lose all power. But your mm-hmm. ability to understand that your thoughts lead to your actions, right? You, you know, excuse me, your thoughts lead to your words. Your words lead to your actions. Your actions lead to your habits. Some would say your action, your habits lead to your character, and your character leads to your destiny. To, to steal from Gandhi, there's a power in the alignment and the way those things flow. So if you're fully creating, again, connecting what you do to who you are, I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter what title you have, you are powerful. And the organizations that, that do incredibly well with turnarounds have more and more people operating as in what I call an all-in way of being. That's awesome. We've got one more point I want to dig into uh, in the book. You talk about the wisdom of letting go. Yeah. What exactly does that mean, and, and how does one pull that off? Well, it, it's interesting that you know in our culture, we have uh, taking a good idea and kind of taking it to extreme, right? We, we're all familiar with terms like whatever it takes, right? Nothing's going to stop me. Right? We, we've, got these, we've got these ideas that you work through adversity all the time, and that's not a bad idea. The problem is, we don't know when to stop. Now, there's an economic law called the law of diminishing returns, which means from a pure logic standpoint, at some point, throwing good money after bad is is certainly a a phrase that we're familiar with. But I find that many of the great leaders that I have the privilege of working with understand the first part of it, which is, okay, never give up, drive, drive, drive. But sometimes there's a time when you you are best, best served, your organization is best served, to let go of an objective that may have made sense six months ago or 12 months ago, but now no longer makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. The ability to, in some would say, with discipline, to adjust. But some people, and you know them, are maniacally focused, you know, I'm going to do this, just get out of my way. And at some point, diminishing returns sets in. So the idea of letting go is a very important topic and one that doesn't get as much traction, I don't think, in our culture as it needs to. Because I find an awful lot of people are burning themselves out, going after an objective that has shifted. And I talk in the book about examples and, and how to do it. And the focus is on you know, first recognizing it, accepting what's going on, investigating new opportunities to do it, and not identifying yourself with the objective. Many times this is ego-driven, right? I am not the person I want to be if I can't sell that next contract or this can't achieve this goal. So separating the person from the goal, I find with with, with otherwise very high-performing individuals, it's really important. You are not that quota. You are not that objective. You are who you are. And the wisdom to understand when it does make the most sense to let go of an objective that isn't serving you is really important. Awesome. Thank you. Well, Rick, tell me any final points you'd like to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. No, no. I, I think, again, for the, the, you know, if, if we'll go to favorite things, but if, if I could, uh, I would just like to, uh, to mention that bchief.com uh, is the website. Uh, bchief.com is where you can find about uh, the book, which is which, uh, where all profits, uh, our author profits, are going to charity. We've got a wonderful charity partner down in Austin, Texas, called Sammy's House. 
which is a, an educational and a rehabilitation opportunity uh, facility for for kids with uh, a severe special needs. And all all of the proceeds are going there, so they can learn about Sammy's house. They can learn about the book. They can also, by the way, take the free quiz. And this is what I'd ask everyone to take a look at the book. I'd love to I'd love to sell as many books as possible because all the money would go to the kids. That'd be great. But for your audience that wants to be more powerful, the the compass, the the, the survey, if you will, is a free tool on bchief.com. You can also read a chapter of the book and see if it, it floats your boat. But most importantly, you know, take a baseline measure your power, understand how you feel about it, and how you can help others. That's the most important thing that uh, I'd like to share. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? You know, the one I like, it might not surprise you, but power is never given. It's only taken. And that's one that I I live by because I, I did spend 20 years of my career waiting to be given power. I mean, I did okay. I moved up the corporate ladder pretty well, and but I was waiting. And for people who want to take power, I just think it's a, it's, it's a wonderful quote because it encapsulates everything I believe. Oh, awesome. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? Well, the research, actually, I'm going to go back to the book. There's some wonderful research done by a researcher named Sagal Barsati out of Yale. And uh, Sagal's work builds on the work done by uh, Christakis and Fowler on the happiness effect. Now, the happiness effect is a well-known study that talks about the the impact of introducing a happy person into a group. And the surprising, a 20-year study, by the way, talks about the fact that if you introduce a happy person, not only is a next-door neighbor likely to be more happy, but the next-door neighbor's friend and friend's friend, it's like two or three degrees of separation, will statistically be more happy. So Christakis and Fowler did a wonderful piece of uh, well-reported research on the happiness effect. What Barsati did was take that great work and bring it into the workforce and proved that introducing a person with positive emotions into a workplace affects the productivity of all workers in that workplace. And that's really the fundamental element that we talk about in the book. I I use the term viral engagement. Mm -hmm. It's great when you try to, uh, to, to do things to enable the engagement of someone who's working for you, but viral engagement is when you're constantly taking a look at the impact that everybody can have, that really anyone can influence everyone. And once you understand that, the opportunity for growth is great. And, and by the way, so that makes sense intellectually, but Barsadi did the research that proved it. Awesome. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? Uh, right now, I'm reading When uh, by Daniel Pink. And I love When. I, I'm a big Dan Pink fan. But I'm reading one right now, and I love it because it talks about uh, how to bring out your peak performance when it matters most. And so I'm an avid reader, and I'm I'm fascinated by this one because, again, well-researched, as as Daniel Stuff always is. But uh, the idea of professional athletes, professional musicians, uh, what are the tips, simple tips? uh, And I won't go any further because it's Daniel's book, and you want to read it. You don't want to listen to me give you the tips. But it's, it's a really good read. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite tool? A tool? I, I would tell you the, the, the tool, that the app that I'm having a lot of fun with now, and I've got lots of companies, so I'll just uh, add my log to the fire, which is the Calm app. I'm oh, yeah. a big meditator and uh, uh, have been blessed with the ability to meditate. But even it, when things get going uh, so quickly that it's a little harder to, to slow down a little bit, the Calm app does a, does a wonderful job. I know there's many fans, so I'll just uh, add my log to the fire. Oh, sure. And how about a favorite habit? You know, 
the habits, I, I am, uh, amongst uh, other challenges, I'm a type 1 diabetic. And so for 40 years, uh, I've been giving myself four shots a day. And I think this, this habit has probably come out of the, the necessity to, to, to manage your blood sugars and, and health and numbers and things like that. But actually, my favorite habit is, uh, uh, is a combination of, of sometimes I do the meditation in the morning, followed by, uh, uh, by some really rigorous exercise. Sometimes I'll flip it. But my morning routine, uh, getting up and starting the day with a combination of exercise, getting the blood flowing, and meditation, it seems like you know, you know, gear yourself up and calm yourself down. Uh, that, that little kind of uh, a sweet and sour, if you will, uh, first thing in the morning works really well for me. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks, gets them retweeting, et cetera? You know, I don't, not so much, honestly, because again, the, the, I, I do draw a distinction between uh, uh, wonderful people who supply those kind of nuggets and those who apply them. And I'm an applier. I mean, I'm a business guy. I work in organizations and, and I'm on the front lines. I don't uh, uh, probably generate the kind of uh, 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 quips and, and, and thoughtful little musings that, that are on the tips of people's tongues, much like most of this book is taking uh, and always giving credit for the great stuff that's out there. But my focus is on how you simplify and, and how, you know, first you have to retain it if you're going to apply it. So I rely on others for those, those inspirational moments. Uh, I just try to help the people I work with apply them so that they can uh, have a great day. All right. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I would point them to bchief.com. Whatever you can find there, a way to connect the, uh, with, the, with, the, uh, with, with the power compass, if you will, and develop your own. But there's lots of stuff on the website and uh, uh, wherever, wherever it takes you. If it takes you to the book and you can uh, see fit to, uh, uh, to make that purchase, know the money's going to Sammy's house, and that's terrific. But whatever you find there, I hope it's helpful. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for those seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Well, you know, I, I think it's about power. I really think about who you think has it, who really has it. More often than not, the powerful people in your life, the most powerful, the most influential, are probably a family member who doesn't have a title. It's somebody in the community who doesn't have the title, but they make choices that consistently show you who they are. And you know you can't get enough of them because they're the people you admire. And I think that uh, that's what power means to me. And I think the more people open themselves up to that definition of power and make the choices to be the best version of themselves, it spreads and the world's a better place. Awesome. Well, Breck, thank you for all you're doing to make the world a better place. This has been a, a whole lot of fun. I wish you and, and be chief. Tons of luck, massive sales, and massive impact. I appreciate it, Pete. Thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate Rick's point about the wisdom of letting go and how you are not the quota, the goal, the target, the deadline. And sometimes you've got to prudently choose to let go of certain objectives when they're no longer serving you. I think that's, that's very wise, particularly for, I don't know, a high achieving group such as yourselves or, or myself in terms of like, no, I've got to do it. This is what I've committed to. This is the thing. I'm not a loser. I'm not a quitter. We're, we're doing this thing. To realize, well, sometimes quitting is exactly what is in best of service to you and the team and the organization and prudent to take a breath and a good look at that instead of doggedly, persistently, unwaveringly pursuing everything to the bitter end every time. A handy little reminder from Rick there. And again, if you want to check out the show notes or transcript or links to items we've referenced, 
You'll find it over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F340. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. If you do so, you'll hear from our next guest. It is Joe Navarro coming on Wednesday. He's a former FBI interrogator who knows all about body language. And I'll have a quick Labor Day reflection on the upcoming Monday. So hope to catch you for those. And peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.